Why are junior doctors balloting to go on strike? Could a junior doctor today be earning £1,000 less per month than their counterpart equivalent in 2008? Spoiler, they can. And what can doctors do about it? Today, we're delighted to be joined by the co-chairs of the BMA Junior Doctors Committee, where they explain what the problem is and what they're trying to do about it. And more importantly, why they need your help and support. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by the co-chairs of the Junior Doctors Committee at the BMA, Vivek Trivedi and Robert Lawrenson. Hi, guys. Hi, Tommy. Nice to be back here again. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hi, Tommy. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to meet you, Rob. And it's great to have you back, Vivek, because we already did an episode on this previously with your colleague, Emma Runswick. And at that time, Vivek, you were part of, you still are part of Doctors Vote, but you've had a bit of a promotion recently. Can we talk about? Yeah, definitely. I guess I was very much grassroots back then. I still am now, but I found myself to be co-chairing the UK Junior Doctors Committee with Rob and also chair the Northwest Regional Junior Doctors Committee, which is part of the BMA. I always find that kind of point a bit weird when you frame it as a promotion. Right. I don't see it as a promotion. I see it as a bit of a point and challenge to be perfectly honest with you. There's a lot of responsibility in this and obviously we want to do it primarily because this year we want full pay restoration and to get a pay rise, so we need to get every doctor on board to be able to negotiate because we have a national contract. So I think that's one of the reasons I got onto this. But yeah, to view it as a promotion, I don't know, I always got really unsettled by that. Or when people say congratulations, it's just a bit odd. It's one of the things I always say, maybe congratulate our campaign when we win. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like catching the ball at rugby for me because I'm not a big lad. So I'm like, great, I've caught the ball. Oh, no, now I've got to do something with it. <laughs> Especially because I don't think either of us really thought or planned or wanted to be co-chairs of the Junior Docs Committee. But all, yeah, we were happy to get involved at a regional level and then things just escalated from there. Something that was really helpful, though, is that we have just a huge amount of support behind us. That's what makes this easier. And that's what makes this work really well is that this year, there was a huge campaign in the regional elections from the doctor's vote point of view to sort of agitate and educate the base, the members, to make them understand what's been happening with our pay and to try and get people with a mandate into the JDC to fight for full pay restoration. And we've got 39 out of 40 contested seats. We won that result. That gives us a lot of support inside JDC. Yeah, and I said on the last podcast, I like the way you guys went about it because you formed your own doctor's vote group and then you used that to try to influence the direction of what the BMA does and it is everyone's union and you've been very successful in that. So let's just get straight into the nitty gritty here. What is the problem and why are the BMA balancing on strike action? The problem is that 
In the last 15 years, doctors have lost 26.1% of their pay. And that figure is actually calculated April to April in the financial year. Looking between April and now, we've lost more, right? Because of all of the inflationary pressures that we're facing. And it's abundantly clear the mechanism to remunerate and rewards doctors are not working. And we're seeing massive vacancies in our workforce. We're seeing problems with burnout, problems with motivation. And I believe that this all stems from the pay ticket, right? In my mind, the vacancy issue is supply and demand, right? It's very simple. We have a lot of demand for doctors and we don't have enough. And yet the government is not increasing the pay and we still have. And these mechanisms are a big problem because despite everything that we did, and we went through during COVID, the global pandemic, one of the biggest health crises this country has seen in over a hundred years. Doctors stepped up, doctors went into work without protection, without treatment, without vaccines. We didn't know what this virus was exactly. We didn't know how it would affect people. We didn't know how it would affect us or our loved ones. Doctors stepped up. And then when the government announced the NHS pay awards for COVID, being 4.5%, they excluded junior doctors. That was a real sign, a real wake-up call that the government really doesn't care about us. They don't care about the value that we demonstrate when we work. And so we felt like the only action that we could do was to withdraw our labor and make them see our value through the absence of our work. And that's why we're pushing for an industrial action campaign to withdraw our labor, because it is painfully obvious. They don't appreciate us when we're there. So we'll make them see how much they appreciate us when we're not there. Yeah, absolutely. And some people might be thinking, hold on, you got like a, was it a 3% pay award this year? Two. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. so you got a 2% pay award this year. Okay. But then inflation is currently above 10%, as you alluded to, Rob. So that is an 8% real terms pay cut. So some people might be thinking, we've had a pay rise, inverted commas, every year. But actually, when you factor in inflation, and that is the only measure, you go to work to earn money to buy things, you can now buy significantly less things with that money because inflation is 10%, your pay rise is 2%, you are 8% worse off just this year do that every year for 15 years and you get to that number that Rob said with 26.1%. And I agree clearly with what you said about April to April, it's clearly going to be much, much worse come April 2023. Okay, so that's why you're balloting. Now, what do junior doctors need to do? Because you mentioned that you've got a great groundswell of support. This does feel like a big moment for the profession to me anyway, and certainly speaking to colleagues, they're informed about this, but there's still people that might not know what do junior doctors actually need to do and when? Before we answer that, Tommy, I just want to highlight the point that you just made because it's super important and something that I think gets glossed over more frequently than it should. Junior doctors see their pay packet increase most years because of the 2% pay rise that you said, but also because they might progress through their trainings. You make more as an FY2 than you do as an FY1. You make more as a CT1 than as an FY2, etc. That makes complete sense because with additional workload and additional responsibility, you should be paid more to reflect that. So there's no point comparing what you make as an ST345 to what an FY1 may have done before. That 
compounded with the sub-inflationary pay rises that you talked about is the real crux of what we're talking about. So just to put it into numbers for people that are working at the moment, NFI1 is probably earning in the region of 750-ish pounds less per month than their counterpart in 2008. And FY2 and most CTs and STs are in the region of a thousand pounds less per month than their equivalent counterpart in 2008. So someone doing the same, in theory, responsibility level of workload, they're making a thousand pounds less per month than their counterparts. And wow. some people say, well, you just you work through training, it'll get better once you become a consultant. Hey, we know that's not true because it's not a free ride to become a consultant. You have to show that you're competent. You have to progress through training, meet all of the assessment portfolio requirements, et cetera. And then also the responsibility for a consultant is tremendously higher, but even consultants are worse off than their counterparts in 2008. And their real terms pay cut is even more than junior doctors. And they're probably in the region of £2,000 less per month than their counterpart in 2008. So just that is, when you think about it like that, it's no wonder why we need to take action now. Yeah, I think that's really great points. And to put it in actual monetary terms like that, it is important. And as you say, if you're thinking, oh, when I become a consultant, I'm going to be sorted. Those guys and girls have had at least a 30% real terms pay cut in the last 10 years. So <laughs> the carrot's not there anymore at the end. Yeah, I think that's really good point. So you're a junior doctor, you're listening to this and you're liking what you hear. What do you actually need to do to have your opinion on whether to strike or not, which is a massive decision? Yeah, it's not an easy decision. I don't think many, if any, doctors enter the profession thinking that they're going to want or need to go on strike. But this is where we've been forced into. And as Rob has alluded to, there's been conversations that we've tried to have to remedy this, but this is where we are. So to vote for a strike action, you need to be a member of the BMA. You won't get a ballot if you're not a member of the BMA. You need to have your address up to date because by trade union law, ballots for industrial action can only come by post. And so if you're a BMA member, but your address is still what you were in some shared flat that you're renting when you were a medical student, FY1 or whatever, and your ballot paper goes there, it will effectively count against us because it will be an unanswered ballot. And there are strict thresholds that we must meet for the ballot to be successful. It should be saving as much as possible because when you strike and if you don't go to work on a day that you were supposed to, then you won't get paid for that day. That kind of makes sense. So we need to be investing now as much as we can in our ability to sustain a strike to get full pay restoration. And the final thing that I suggest as part of this is to keep on top of your portfolio. There's rules about time out of trading, which strike days would be. If you're not even meeting the requirements of your portfolio, if you're well in excess of that, then if anything happens in the sense of a review with ARCP, if you can show that you're meeting your competencies, then it weakens any argument to delay any training. Now, for anyone that's seen any of our BMA or infographics might realize that talks about our ARCP campaign, which is the main thing that highlights these points. So complete your industrial action ARCP, make sure your address is up to date, rejoin and recruit. So get all of your colleagues to become members of the BMA so that they can have their say. They won't be able to vote if they're not a member of the BMA. Cash to save up where possible. 
locum if you're in a position to locum exception report if you're staying late missing breaks and ask for money rather than time off and loot and keep on top of your portfolio yeah amazing good tips so you mentioned something there about the strike fund i want to come back to that in a minute but Talk to me about the situation with international medical graduates who might be worried about their visa status. And I know that you've got some great work that you've done there. Yeah, international medical graduates are really important to a large cohort of the junior doctor body. And I think we need to recognize, firstly, that a lot of international medical graduates have made a tremendous investment in Christ to get here and work here in the first place, for uprooting your life. And coming across to a different country, costs, immigration, advisors, visas, the NHS surcharge, just the simple relocation costs of trying to find somewhere new to live. And then integrating themselves and trying to create a social life, trying to get themselves embedded into the NHS culture and the professional career paths are part and parcel of working lives is difficult. And it's no surprise that a lot of international medical graduates might be concerned. Obvious pay affects us all, every junior doctor who works in the NHS. And actually, this is sometimes felt more acutely by international medical graduates who might need to send money home, particularly with the government's pretty disastrous collapse of the pound. So they are involved, must be involved, and must have a critical voice in this movement. And their main concern as money for people on visas, their visa. We've spoken with the immigration legal team that will be supporting the BMA through any challenges to protect members. And they've been able to give us a lot of clear advice about what particular parts of the visas we need to consider to protect and how we protect them. So there's a rule with regards to 28 days of unauthorized absence in a year and where a sponsor might need to report that to the Home Office. Legally organized industrial action does not contribute to those 28 days. Similarly, people who are applying or intend to apply for indefinite leave to remain, legally authorized and organized industrial action will not get people's applications to indefinite leave. There is one bit, okay, that we need to make very clear is that 10 consecutive shifts, okay, 10 consecutive shifts of unauthorized absence would mean that an employer would need to report that to the home office. But that doesn't mean that the visa will be terminated. Now, what we need to do is make sure that our strategy doesn't threaten the 10 consecutive shifts. And where that might compromise or force an employer to report that to the Home Office. And that's what we're determined to do. Now, we have a webinar on the 7th of December that will be advertised on things like the IMG Facebook forum. It's advertised on the BMA Twitter account. It's advertised on the BMA website. That will be an hour with a short segment. I think it's only 10 minutes for me and Vivit to speak about these issues. 10 minutes from the lawyers. And then 40 minutes for people to ask questions to the lawyers, the lawyers that will be defending people. And this will be recorded and put on the BMA website afterwards. So a great opportunity on the 7th of December for people to ask their own questions to the lawyers. 
And just to add on, that's open to everyone, whether you're a BMA member or not. So if you're an IMG or on a visa or know anyone that is concerned about these issues, please do get them to attend. The link, as Rob was saying, is on the BMA website. If you just Google BMA IMG visa webinar, it should come up. You can register and attend. And please do share with all of your colleagues. Yeah, and I think this is really important because as you said, imagine coming to this country, contributing to the NHS, perhaps leaving your family behind. And then not only do you face all the problems that junior doctors face, plus you've got this visa thing hanging over you. So I think that's really important. And I was really pleased when I saw that being taken into account. That webinar sounds invaluable. So that's really good. Vivek, you mentioned this sort of saving up money, etc. And I might drop a link to some tax saving tips in for junior doctors, because if you haven't claimed your GMC fees, your BMA fees, tax deductions thereon, this is a great time to do it, to build up your own strike fund. Okay. But part of the reason for the strike is because doctors are really quite low paid and probably a day's pay is going to be a big deal for a lot of people. So what's the strike fund and how do people get it? So the BMA is in the process of setting up a strike fund and developing how that will look and how that will be distributed. We've only been elected to the Junior Docs Committee in October and we're not able to govern what's happened before and we can only help and contribute to what's going on now. The strike fund is still in its very early days and it's difficult to know how much that will be able to raise and how that distribution will go about. It would be great if it could sustain lots of doctors, but in reality, I think it would be unfair to suggest that and for people to rely on that. And so I think the biggest thing that individual doctors could do is try and save in any way possible that they can and effectively view their savings that they're doing now as an investment for their future. When we get full pay restoration, saving £100 a week, if you can now, will pay off. You'll get more than £100 a week in the future with full pay restoration. So anything that you can put away now to invest in your ability to strike will go a very long way. There are details about the strike fund on the BMA website. And once more of that information has been finalized and confirmed, there will be a stronger launch with it. At the moment, there's a separate page for voluntary donations, but that is separate to the BMA Strike Fund entity. Just to talk on, on top of that as well, there's been a tremendous shift inside the BMC that has only happened recently. And it is my desire to see the BMA being structured more towards union activity and being able to further the interests of medical students, doctors for the future. I would like to see doctors being prepared to organize in the long term more to fight a plethora of issues that we face. There are so many other issues and problems with our profession. And I think it's important for people to realize that actually these kinds of changes don't just happen overnight and that we need to persevere and persist and keep contributing through all sorts of plans over an extended period of time. Yeah, definitely. The wheels move slowly, but you say they move slowly, but even since we recorded our last podcast, which was like three months ago, I feel like a lot has changed already since then. Fair play to you guys for doing that and everyone that's helping you. That was great. A great summary of all the issues, but let's just go for a two minute summary of what doctors need to do. And more importantly, what the dates for doing that is. Yeah, we've lost 26% of our pay over the last 15 years, and the government are signaling that we're going to have another period of austerity where they may well impose a 0% pay rise or a public sector wage freeze again. 
And we need to challenge that, make sure that we don't fall into that trap. That's why we're taking action. And that's why we're balancing on the 9th of January for about six weeks for BMA members to receive a ballot in the post to vote for strike action so that we can take action and negotiate with the government and ensure we don't have this public sector wage freeze again. You need to join the BMA. You need to update your place of work, your place of residence, and you need to save money where you can, plan your portfolio, have conversations with everyone in your workplace about the important nature of what we're doing here and join your hospital strike WhatsApp groups. Brilliant. So hopefully that's clear to everybody. I'll pop the useful links in the show notes below. Thank you once again for everything that you've been doing. Thank you for effectively catching the ball at rugby. I hope that you score a try and I hope that the profession unites behind you to help you. I mean, this feels like a big moment for the profession. It really does. And I hope that it goes well. Thanks, Sammy. Cheers. Thanks, Arash. So good to see you. Take care. Take care. 